Warning, what you are about to hear is born of long years of deep friendship, shared experience, brutal honesty, and the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Please, do not walk up to the first black or white person you know and start this sort of banter. It will not end well. What I, what I would love to hear you talk on for our audience, because, you know, we, we, we're, we're in a mainline space. We're in a mainline Christian space, and a lot of people are often fascinated by your work in terms of how it appeals to evangelicals and what it says about the evangelical tradition. And I feel that that is the, 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 the greatest white supremacist trope, right? That, that it's over there. The problem is over there. The, the, and, and, and we leave this piece, you know, it's like we let mainline Christians off the hook. And so I'm wondering when, when, when we talk about, you know, being white too long. What would you say is the single greatest thing to undo that reality? All right, you want me to jump in here? Yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go for it. So you're going to start, you're going to start with something small. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what, that's what we do here. We just, we just tackle easy things. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a couple of things that I, that, um, as you've been talking that really resonate with me, um, and I'm going to get to that point, but I'll set the table a little bit. Um, you know, I began the book with a chapter called seeing, right. S E E I N G. Um, uh, because I, I think that, um, even, even from that opening description of you, entering this white Christian world and feeling the dissonance, right? As an African-American walking onto that campus, right? In a way that nearly all the white students did not on that campus, right? Um, and I think that in itself is, is telling, right? Of kind of where we are, that there was this whole realm of white assumptions that just in the ether, right? In these white Christian spaces, right? And, and if you're white and you grew up in them, it's like a fish in water, right? I mean, you, you are swimming around in it. It's something that's fairly invisible. Um, and, it, 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 um, and, and partially that's because it's about a power structure that supports you if you're white, right? Um, so it feels fairly comfortable. Uh, you benefit from it. Um, and so the incentives, um, you know, for um, looking at it differently, deconstructing it, um, are, are not high, um, you know, if, if you're white, because you benefit, right, from, 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 those, from those things. But, but I, I think we've got to see it. We've got, it. we've got to see this edifice that has been built over hundreds of years, right, built into our theology, built into our liturgy, built into the way we read the Bible, how we even think about the Bible. I mean, it goes all the way down. And so I, I think, you know, you're, you know, what you said, you know, I don't, uh, horrifying, uh, disturbing, you know, this, this thing that, that maybe the best thing for America is the de-Christianization of white folks. Um, you know, there's a way in which you can read the data, um, and, and it, it certainly looks that way, right? So, you know, for example, I mean, in, in contemporary public opinion data today, if you take your average white person and you add Christianity, uh, they become more racist, right? They become less likely to be able to see systemic racism around them or even to... Um, uh, you know, uh, even uh, deny it and, and deny its existence. So I think there's a couple of ways to think about that, right? So you could say, well, it's a de-Christianization. Um, and that would, might be, that might be true for the version of Christianity most white folks have, right? Um, that, that we're talking about a deep, deep deconstruction, you know, here um, that, that needs to happen. Um, and and I, I give this example sometimes, um, so in 2011, I had a bout with, um, with colon cancer. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, um, you know, I faced in my early 40s um, having to go through a pretty gnarly round of chemotherapy, um, right? Um, uh, eight rounds of chemotherapy. And, you know, that experience, right, you, you often feel like, okay, the treatment is, is going to kill me. It's worse than the disease, you know, but, but what you're holding out at the end is that if I can do uh, this work that is killing these cells, right? That ultimately are going to kill me if I don't kill them first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you you do the work uh, because at the end of the thing is health, 
Amen. Right. And I, I feel like that's where we are with white Christianity. Right. We, we, we have so allowed white supremacy to metastasize uh, in our ranks. Right. It's a cancer um, on the church. But it is so widespread at this point that we're going to need something like something, you know, the kind of metaphorical equivalent of a, a kind of broad chemotherapy to kill these cells that are everywhere. Right. Um, if we're going to have the hope of health and life on the other side. Um, and if we don't do that, you know, we're, we're, we're on a course to the grave, right? And, and even if the buildings are still standing and there's people in those buildings, um, you know, to, we won't be doing um, the work of Christianity, um, you know, in, in those, in those spaces, uh, we'll be doing something quite, quite else uh, than that. And I think that's the real danger uh, of where we are. I mean, another way to kind of say this is that, you know, uh, we have, I mean, I often have thought, thought it while I was writing this book. I mean, these, you know, the, the, the amazing grace lyrics, you know, I once was lost. Now I'm found. I mean, white Christians like to think of sing that song mm -hmm. as if they're on the found side of that, of that lyric. Right. Um, but I think what the, what the data suggests is that we're on the lost side mm -hmm. of that lyric, you know, and, and the sooner we figure that out and have the humility to realize just how much we've let white supremacy seep into our spaces and drive the kind of contemporary trends in, in white Christianity, um, you know, the the better off we're going to be. And, and again, it, it's not just because we need to set things right with our African-American brothers and sisters. We certainly need to do that. But I think what most white Christians haven't realized is that this is a struggle of life and death for ourselves, right, for our churches, for our health. Mm. Um, this is about us. And how we've warped our own sense of reality, our own sense of faith. Um, you know, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I, I also, going back and reading um, uh, a kind of overlooked passage, I think, from H. Richard Niebuhr. Um, since we're in a mainline space, I'll cite a, a kind of big stalwart theologian inside white mainline <laughs> Protestantism here um, for uh, kind of do some work. Um, uh, but, but, you know, Niebuhr wrote this book called The Meaning of, of Revelation. Um, and in, in that book, he talks about, it's kind of an overlooked piece of his theology. He talks about, um, you know, that the church has its own kind of internal story that it tells about itself. Um, but there's also an external witness uh, from the outside world about, that tells a story about who the church is, right? Um, and, you know, in, in that book, he says, you know, look, I mean, certainly in all the church work we do and, you know, we get some sense of God's ongoing revelation inside of that work that the, that the church does. But we also have to pay attention to this external witness. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why I start with, um, uh, I mean, the epigraph of the book is this, this citation is from James Baldwin, um, is, which is where the, the title comes from, right? The, that, that where he's writing um, really in despair after the assassination of Martin Luther King. And he says, uh, you know, I'm going to paraphrase it here, but uh, basically says, you know, the, the great uh, overwhelming majority of America's white population impresses me um, as being beyond any conceivable hope of moral rehabilitation. They have been white, if, my, if I may so put it, too long. They've been married to the lie of white supremacy too long. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and I, I think that uh, that that witness, right, um, coming from outside the white church holding up a mirror um, to what we look like, we white Christians look like uh, from the outside, from our actions, from our words, is something I think we've never really taken seriously. Um, and and I, I think that that that, that um, the, I, well, here's, I'm hoping that the, this moment of reckoning that we're in around racial justice is a time where the white church will not look away, right? Um, but it'll kind of hold the gaze long enough um, to convince us that we, we've got to do some drastic things, not just to set things right uh, with others, but to save ourselves. I mean, it really is about salvation mm. um, at the end of the day. Wow. Ooh, uh, so, so much in, in what you just said. Um, some of it very encouraging. Uh, thank you for, for some of my own work. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, you've been, you do this work at, at a real macro level. Um, and, and I came to it from a kind of a micro space. So it's, it's wonderful to hear the kind of, um, interaction of the ideas of humility, um, you know, as, as part of this. And so I want to get, I really want to get to, uh, 
what this might look like and what you what you see as as what this rat what the chemo treatment might actually be and my own family has been touched by colon cancer so uh blessings to you i wow um, I, 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 I give thanks for that redemptive um example that the lord blessed you to to, mm. to recover in such a way and to see the recovery in a way to use it um for the life of the world thanks be to god now before we get to the to the action piece the the incarnational piece of this if if you will i'm i'm curious because this is a conversation that uh, uh jabril and i have uh, a lot um anytime in white church history and arguably maybe even white history right like anytime uh we've trusted in white self-interest things have gone pretty well awry right white self-interest has been interpreted in in incredibly violent you know capitalistic suppressive oppressive ways all the way through right like and so i'm skeptical um again even in my own work as we kind of process through this of right like saying you know if the white if we the white church figure out what um and are driven by our own needs our own desires our own self-interest that that this time it'll be different for black people when we're when we're operating on white self-interest and i'm curious sort of how you um how you see or engage that what what i think mm -hmm. of as a as a real tension in our history yeah well you know i mean the the longer i'm just gonna read it actually um i'm gonna read the longer quote from baldwin here um so i'm gonna break mm -hmm. out brother baldwin um and and i should say this too um you know one thing as a kind of white christian i grew up you know southern baptist in the deep south um went to southern baptist seminary um you know where i mean if you if you think that the winds of um kind of whiteness and white supremacy were blowing very hard at virginia theological you can imagine what they were like, uh, you know, in, in, in an almost all male too, uh, you know, all white, almost all male uh, seminary setting um, in uh, middle Texas. Um, so anyway, um, but but I'm gonna read the whole thing because I think he gets at this. Um, so here's a longer quote um, uh, that I got mostly right, it looks like. Um, uh, so again, he's writing at, after the assassination of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy, and he's writing at a moment of despair because he he I think kept holding out hope that white people and white Christians in particular would finally stand up right on the right side of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And as King is mowed down and Bobby Kennedy's mowed down and there isn't this great uprising by white Christian churches, right. To stand up in the wake of that kind of violence and, and atrocity. I think that's the moment, this kind of dark moment he's writing in. Um, he says this, uh, this is from a New York Times um, op-ed they wrote just a few months after the assassination. Um, I will flatly say that the bulk of this country's white population impresses me and has so impressed me for a very long time as being beyond any conceivable hope of moral rehabilitation. They have been white, if I may put it, too long. They have been married to the lie of white supremacy too long. The effect on their personalities, their lives, their grasp of reality has been as devastating as the lava which so memorably immobilized the citizens of Pompeii. They are unable to conceive that their version of reality, which they want me to accept, is an insult to my history and a parody of theirs and an intolerable violation of myself. Mm. Right? Now, in, in some ways, like I feel like this whole book was a white guy from Mississippi, a white Christian guy from Mississippi trying to respond to that indictment. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it. but what's here, right, is, is he's not calling out um, just the external injustices. Right. He's he's calling out like the like that we haven't seen what it's done, the effect on our personalities, on our lives, our grasp of reality. Right. I mean, that, that we have warped like our entire sense of what's real and what's not, right? And, and I, I think in some ways we're seeing this play out today, right? So so why do we have so many white Christians um, so ready to believe uh, conspiracy theories, QAnon, uh, whether it's about the vaccine or whether it's about the election, uh, things that are so easily refutably false, right? And I think part of it is like if, if your bedrock conviction 
right, is that this country was created to be a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant country. That is the bedrock of your belief system. Um, then, uh, you know, you've kind of got two choices in the face of a changing demographics in, the, in this country. Um, you can either face facts, uh, which is going to require a lot of uh, deconstruction of your, you know, worldview and a lot of dissonance and a lot of a lot of uh, discomfort, or you could spin out fantasy after fantasy to kind of uphold this thing that is so clearly not true, right? And but but the cost of doing that is 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 our own grasp of reality. Like we are we're literally, I mean, you know, Baldwin actually described whiteness um, and and, uh, and and it the way it warps white is a kind of form of madness. Right, mm -hmm. um, that we we've really embraced irreality, um, a, a way of being less than human, uh, really, and and I, I think that's that's the thing we've got to make sure people see is at stake, right? That's what's at stake, and and I, I think um, you know as we said earlier, like it it for me, I think the also the big pull is um, when I look at my kids, right? Like, what do I want to hand down to my kids? Do I do I want to hand down? Um, you know, a deformed, distorted version of the faith um, and re and even reality to them. Like, no, like I think the job of, of each generation, right, and each and, and for parents, right, is you try to hand down the best things you can. You protect your kids from things that are going to ultimately harm them, right? And, and a white supremacist worldview built on the lie that white lives are worth more than others, right, ultimately harms everybody. And I think we've kind of got to just, we got to wrap our heads around that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We definitely have to wrap our heads around that. The question I have, and this is, this is this like asking this question helps my search, right? Cause you know, I do, I, I tell people I do anti-white supremacy work. I don't do anti-racism work. Cause I don't think racism is the problem. I think white supremacy is the problem. There's a lot of there's a lot of non-racists who are anti, who are white supremacists. Um, there were a lot of abolitionists who were white supremacists. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that's the thing. I think I actually I I don't think I was clear on that before I started doing the research for this book. You know, but um, uh, but this just if I can just jump in real quick. This yeah. this, this example of Charles Finney, right, who was a, a renowned abolitionist, uh, you know, Presbyterian minister. Um, but, you know, uh, after the Civil War, one of his younger protégés who had, you know, was very zealous and enthusiastic about the abolitionist work um, uh, was starting to organize an integrated worship service. Um, and Finney stopped him in his tracks and said, oh, no, 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 you err in supposing that the principles of abolitionism and amalgamation are the same. And they mm. are not. Um, you know, and I think the way that, that white supremacy so easily lived, um, even after the abolition of, of slavery and lived in abolitionist circles, right? That, that those people who were many, probably, you know, many, if not most of those folks who were um, against slavery uh, as such uh, were nowhere near commitment, uh, seeing a commitment to social equality uh, and, and, and living side by side uh, with between African-Americans and whites on equal terms. I mean, that wasn't in the recipe of abolitionism for, for most. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 I mean, I appreciate that, that, you know, making the point plain, right? Like, cause that's, that's the issue. When you talk about, okay, we got to wrap our heads around this. this, this, that segues perfectly into the question, right? Like we have never seen white power, white Christians, wrap their heads around that reality. There has always been some mitigating factor. There has always been something more important. You know, if we look at the history of America, it's the history of kicking this can down the road, right? Mm -hmm. like, the framers did it. They kicked the can down the road. You know, the the you know after the Civil War, they did it. They kicked the can down the road. In the Civil Rights era, they did it. Kicked the can down the road. You know, we continue to kick the can down the road. And... I think it kind of lines up in this question here, right? Like, as we're looking now in the wake of the insurrection and Congress is talking about what to do. It's interesting 
they knew what to do with Nat Turner and with and with John Brown. Um, not that I'm advocating for death penalty, right? But I'm saying when we look at white supremacy, we 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 understood what to do when the when the insurrection was for the mattering of black life. Mm. But when the insurrection is the, about white grievances, we don't know what to do anymore. When and we even know what to do before. We even know what to do oh, before yeah. the, the insurrection in, in favor of black life. But pro proceed. Sorry. So when we talk about wrapping our heads around this stuff, how do we? Because well, here's the thing. We're going to investigate what happens. That's what they're calling for. They're going to investigate what happens. We're going to smack a black face on the investigation. A great guy, General Andre. Great guy. Phenomenal lineage, pedigree, so on and so forth. But I'm saying we're going to smack a black face on the investigation so that everybody is happy. It's a black face. We've investigated it. It's a 9-11 style commission. And we've said what, what failures happened in the system that let this happen. But I would argue that that doesn't get anywhere close to how we got here. And I think that your work would argue we haven't gotten it. Whatever investigation they do on it on the on in Congress will never get anywhere close to the reality of how we got here. Ooh. So my question would be: what do you think is the white church's responsibility in the wake of this insurrection? Using the data that you that you've yeah. researched, you know? Well, I wrote I wrote a piece the day after. Uh, at Religion News Service, um, and and the and the title of the piece was called um, "Taking the White Christian Nationalist Symbols at the at the U.S. Capitol Riot Seriously." Okay. Um, and so I think the first thing to do is, is that uh, we've got to pay attention, right? It wasn't just um, yes. I mean, there were the you know these white supremacist group, Proud Boys, and others were there in force. Uh, Anti-Semitic uh, groups were there. Uh, in force, you know, it was like, you know, one guy wearing a Camp Auschwitz hoodie, uh, you know, there, um, uh, plenty of, of, of all of that Confederate flags everywhere um, that everybody saw that got all the attention. Right. But what, but what got less attention was all the crosses, all the Bibles. All, there was actually the Christian flag. So they like all, all the all, they went into the chamber and prayed. Yeah, went in the chamber and prayed and marched the Christian flag in with the Confederate flag into the chamber, the breached chamber, right? And and that's on video. And and what all the attention got was the Confederate flag, but nobody paid that much attention to that white Christian flag, right? That white, it's a white banner, um, shouldn't be lost on that. It looks a lot like the stainless banner, which was which was one of the Confederate uh, flags that nobody knows that much about, but it was an all white flag. Um, uh, and so, but, but the, the official Christian flag, this was adopted by the federal council of churches in 1942, uh, and, and by the national council of churches. So again, these are mainline spaces that adopted this flag. It's a white, white flag with a blue Canton in the center or in the corner and a red Latin cross, right. Um, and inside that blue Canton, but that was marched into that chamber. Um, you know, and this is the flag that many, uh, mainline, even I, I remember the church I grew up in, we, there were two flags up, up behind the pulpit. One was the American flag and one was the Christian flag, mm -hmm. right? Um, those two flags were, were up there, uh, in vacation Bible school, you know, we said the pledge allegiance to the American flag. We said the pledge allegiance to the, the Christian flag. Um, you know, and, and, and also in our Southern Baptist church, we said the pledge of allegiance to the Bible. Um, you know, so we had those three things going on in vacation Bible school, but that flag, right, was marched in. And I think we can't skip over that, right? It's no it's not a coincidence, right, that the same people carrying the Confederate flags uh, and the white supremacist symbols, uh, that there was no dissonance. There weren't big fights breaking out between the people carrying the Christian flags and the Confederate flags. <laughs> they were all storming the Capitol together, right? right. Um, uh, so that they were all on the same team. Um, and I, I think that's the the i think the powerful thing about that is that that puts in very contemporary right in front of us on national television terms um what has been hidden i think in a lot of our history and that is that that those confederate flags and those christian flags have always marched together right um and we we saw it in uh and 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 we tend to think about that as oh something way way back there you know we saw it in 2021 
um, uh, you know, in, in, in service of violence and, and in service of an insurrection trying to overthrow a democratic election. So how do we get white Christians to pay that attention? I know, I know that's the million dollar question, right? If you could figure yeah. that out, funding would go through the roof, you know, like, because that's, that is the million dollar question right there. But, 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 but really, really like, cause mainline churches are good for this, right? Episcopal church is great for this, right? We'll, we'll call somebody like you in. We'll listen to you talk and do a session and we'll ask you engaging questions and we'll be, oh my God, we'll get your book and we'll, we'll have you sign it and we'll read it and we'll talk about how much we read it. How do we get, like, what, what is the, what is the, in, in, in your like, in your mind's eye, in your heart, what would be the thing? What would be the praiseworthy response that you would wish to see from folk reading your book? Yeah. So, um, so last night um, I did a session with uh, First Baptist Church of Christ in Macon, right? Um, it, it's actually one of two churches that I dedicate the book to. Um, so there are these two First Baptist churches in Macon. One's predominantly white, one's predominantly African American, um, and they have this very challenging history that they used to be the same church in 1820 when they when it was founded right and it was white people bringing enslaved people to church with them like that was the original uh setup of the church and the church eventually uh split um you know uh, uh, right as things were heating up uh before the civil war they they split uh the the african-american church eventually gets its own um independence from from uh the predominantly white church and then they kind of ignored each other for about 150 years, right? Um, sitting literally, you mm -hmm. can see the two steeples from 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 one street corner, um, and they are literally around the corner from each other, and had no connection um, at all, right? Through and and you know you know why, right? So because that era, right, the, that post Civil War era was when the people in that white church were all about setting up and supporting the erection of Jim Crow and segregation. Right. And denying the rights of those people around the corner. Um, and so what would they have to say to one another? Right. When those pro when that project was going on. Um, and finally, it was it was really only um, in 2014 uh, that the two pastors finally got together and just said, like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, we're, we're we have this history. We're in the same community. We're literally around the corner from each other. Um, and and they started a process of just trying to build community um, with each other. And I, I think that's the thing. I think we have to kind of move from, we've been talking about like the white church. Uh, I think we have to move down to churches, right? To, to the local mm. level, because the only way that this happens is if there's accountability. Um, and the only way white churches are accountable is if they're in relationship with black folks. Um, right. And uh, because otherwise we just kind of float free, <laughs> right in our own self-interest um and pretend like everything's fine um and and so you know the one example they they gave me is that um they had just formed this relationship uh when dylan roof walked into mother emmanuel ame and gunned down um nine uh african-american worshipers at, at, at our people attending bible study um and the the uh, scott dickinson the white the pastor of the white church uh, told me he said look i'd like to think that in any circumstances, we would know that we needed to do something, we needed to say something, we needed to be in solidarity with our African-American brothers and sisters around such a horrific event. And we know we need to show up, right, for our neighbors around the corner and tell them we're with them. We got their backs. And, you know, uh, he said, but I can't honestly tell you that I know for certain we would have done that had we not already begun this journey uh, with, because it's just easy, right? Trayvon Martin doesn't affect us. Uh, Charlottesville eh, doesn't affect us. You know, it, it's just easy. Um, but, but I think the thing that stuck with me is he said, you know, but, but we, we, we know those people, right? And we knew they were angry. They were hurting. Um, they were, you know, uh, just in despair in, in many ways. And we know what to do. Well, there's, there's people we love who are hurting, right? And it becomes a more organic response rather than some principle or duty that's always kind of thin thin gruel i think for for leading to, to action 
So I, I would say that like the work has to be done at the local community and and in relationships, right? So I mean, certainly white churches have their own work to do, and I do think things like, um, you know, uh, churches that uh, I, I preached this, this past weekend at Boston Avenue United Methodist Church in Tulsa. Um, now that is a big, tall steeple, um, prominent white Methodist church that used to be a part of the Methodist Episcopal Church South, wow. right? Mm-hmm. So they were on the Confederate divide of the Methodist. Um, and, um, and they're, that church is leading a hundred days of reflection on their members leading up to the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of work, right. Where you're going to commit the entire season of Lent and beyond to reflecting and coming to terms with, uh, their role. And it's not just kind of up here. I mean, it's like, what was our role? Mm-hmm. And it, in mm-hmm. fact, I preached back to them. Uh, the sermon, a, a part of the sermon that the Methodist bishop preached in their pulpit the Sunday after the Tulsa race massacre, mm. um, where that yes. where that bishop blamed the violence on the African American community, and and he said, and the main message he had uh, was, to, was to say, he said, we need to tell uh, the Negroes in our community, uh, this is his language, um, that uh, there never has been and there never will be social equality between the races it is divinely mandated right that was his message from the pulpit in the wake of 300 people being massacred by their white christian neighbors over a period of two days um you know in tulsa um that's what that's that was the word of god to the people of god um uh you know from from that pulpit and 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 to go from there and that church now today is leading this very different self you know kind of examination, um, I, I think those kinds of things, and they're doing it, you know, in conversation with other, with, with a, um, other African-American churches in the, in the community, including uh, one that was burned to the ground, um, you know, as part of that, part of that massacre a hundred years ago, I think is that kind of work. Um, and again, it, it's not rocket science really, but, but it's, it's not easy um, either. Um, right. It's just a matter of commitment and, and being committed to trying to get to know people um, and, and to be in relationship with people. So, wow. I mean, what a, what a powerful example, right? I mean, to, to go back into the history and to have, um, to have that kind of in your face proof, um, and, and evidence. And mm-hmm. so I appreciate that. And, and my, my question following through, um, I, I see that work as, as necessary and not sufficient, right. In a lot of ways. Um, and, and some of the challenge I see again, because I think there's been examples like that throughout our own history, right? The, the Quakers had some, some good moments, right? You know, the, the, um, we had, I mean, Thurman had, uh, you know, an interracial church well before, I mean, all, you know, a lot of those examples and what I haven't seen in the reflection, even in, even in the academic theology that I've been reading, right? Like what I haven't seen in the reflection is an encounter with Christ an encounter with the Christ who blesses and even shows up in our worship when our worship is broken, right? When our, when our relationships mm-hmm. are broken, when we are out of communion with, with other people. And so, um, you know, the, the, in, the church is an institution. We as a people, um, certainly good white liberal Christians have started to come around to this idea that, wow, our social institutions, our actions, our relationships need to be changed because, wow, look at this 400 years or more of history that has really warped us to get us where we are. I haven't heard the call for, you know, our theology grew up in the same water, has yeah. been swimming in that same water as our institutions. And so we need to look and understand uh and change our Christology, that we believe in a Christ yeah. who is at our beck and call, or or at least will show up, <clears throat> even when we've just done all these things, or said all these things, or act in this way, or you know. Um, and so I'm curious, where, where, and how? I mean, that, and that's part of my work right now, where I am trying yeah. to unearth a, a Eucharistic theology, as you said, right, like bringing it in from the streets, bringing it in from what, what Niebuhr was talking about, right? Like bringing it in from the womanist tradition, bringing it in from Black Lives Matter, bringing it in from Cape Coast Castle um, on the Ghanaian coast uh, so that we take seriously and submit. You said this too, I think, um, 
you know, be be under the authority of be in relationship with black authority, right? Be accountable. That was I think that was the word you used. Be accountable mm -hmm. to that. Um, and so I support the the relational piece, the 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 on the ground piece. Um, how do you see the the foundational theological shift that is necessary? Now, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I, I think we we've done next to zero theological <laughs> reform, um, you know, in any serious way um, on on this front, um, you know, and you would think of, um, you know, my gosh, like so. Right. If you look at this history squarely, if you really take it to heart and you sit with it, um, you got, you have to ask, OK, so what? was so screwed up about our theology, right? That it could so comfortably sit with these commitments to white supremacy and not challenge it. What, 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 what got screened out? What got, um, uh, and, and how does that, yeah, everything from, uh, you know, kind of throw all the systematic theology words at, at you, right? Uh, uh, soteriology, ecclesiology, you know, uh, theology, right? Uh, liturgy, like it, it's, it's all, it, it, I, I think there's, generations of work to rethink um, those things. And I think without that, then, you know, what we'll have is a kind of weird uh, dissonance between a kind of intellectual commitment, um, but using theological tools that were designed to protect white supremacy um, at the same time, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so discipleship, Christian formation, if we take any of that stuff seriously, uh, right, we think about that as, I mean, back to Baldwin's words, as you would think, I mean, the, the point of kind of Christian formation and discipleship is to shape one's worldview and personality, mm -hmm. right? To, to be more in line with what God is doing in the world. Um, uh, and we have so utterly failed at, at that, right? I mean, you know, there's no way to read our history and not see how utterly we failed and to pretend that we can kind of hold on to the same theology, the same view of Jesus, the same understanding of salvation, um, you know that 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 wrought that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think is is really infantile um, and and our, our really immature thinking. So yeah, I think that's exactly. I think there's, you know, we need a whole generation right to rise up and say, you know what, we're going to rethink it from the ground up. Um, we're going to take what we think is is usable. We're going to jettison everything we think was complicit, um, and and we're going to try to do something new uh, with with this new moment. Um, in, in the world, but but when you think about how again I was using the word lost, how lost white Christianity, and and again I, I should say too to your point earlier, um, I think everybody loves to pick on uh, my people, you know the white yeah. evangelicals, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, you know uh, there there's uh, plenty of room for that, yeah. um, but but the what was astonishing to me in the book um, is that when I looked at the contemporary public opinion data, right, and I I used this racism index. And it was kind of a composite. I won't go into the details here, but it was basically a composite measure of attitudes about systemic racism in the country. Um, and I scored it like zero to 10. Um, and with 10 being kind of the denying systemic racism, holding the most racist attitudes on up at 10 down to zero, you know, white evangelicals scored eight out of 10 um, on that index, which you, you know, maybe not surprise anybody, but white mainline Protestants scored seven, mm -hmm. right? And white mm -hmm. Catholics scored seven mm -hmm. um right? right where do whites who are not christian score four <laughs> right right, mm -hmm. right right and so if you think about this like that is a damning indictment of that if you take your average white person and you add christianity they move up the racism index right they become more racist more likely to deny the existence of systemic racism um i mean that is an astonishing and appalling fact um you know and if that's true uh, certainly no more evidence um you know I mean, you put our history and those contemporary opinions together i mean there's never i mean it's a pretty airtight case for um a pretty radical rethinking of our theology if we don't want to continue to form people who look like that mm -hmm. right yeah twice yeah. as likely right i mean uh, uh, almost or, or close to yeah. or close enough right. to twice as likely or you double your chances um yeah. your, your work your book was actually recommended to me by uh the reverend dr john kinney at um at the samuel dwight proctor school of theology where i'm doing my doctoral work right like in this idea as and it was it was a 
a real slap in the face and a, and and an, an unfortunate and really damning buttress to to some of the work that I had started doing, right? Of trying to unearth mm. how do we answer these questions? How do we answer these theological, Christological, soteriological, all those, you know, the 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 words you were throwing out there, right? How do we answer those questions to this witness? Um, and I, I think it's it's particularly I mean, you know, even more damning. And maybe we can just end at some point because all we're going to end up doing is violently agreeing with each other. Right. Like, you know, Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, which I yeah. got taught in seminary. Right. Like like that was part of our curriculum. Right. And <laughs> but we we didn't seem to to dig into the part where he says, you know, I walked and I'm paraphrasing. I walked by these their churches and I wondered, you know, what kind of God are they worshiping? Yeah. You know, Um I, and 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 it goes way back, and and I, I really need to look up this quote, right? But but even in our missiology class, right? Like, like you had you had indigenous leaders who on on the on their knees, being ready to be executed, were told, "Well, you can convert to Christianity and live, or you can die right now, right now. That's your choice." And and he, he was asked, "Well." If I if I convert and and then I get to go to heaven, will will you guys be there? And of course, and he said, "Well, then I have absolutely no desire to convert. Right? Like I would rather burn in whatever hell you call this than to be, you know, eternally with you." And and just there's always been that that critique and that recognition. Um, and and to see your book put the the data together in such a way to really buttress the the reality and to buttress the the commentary that has been coming at the white church and i again great that you point out right mainline evangelical doesn't matter right and you even controlled for uh, i think it was age geography um ethnic eth ethnicity partisanship like partisanship yeah. that's right yeah, i mean across the board and <laughs> it doesn't um, matter yeah doesn't matter doesn't matter. Yeah. It's funny. Mm. I, was telling, I was telling my wife as I'm looking at some of these things, you're looking at the way that um, Republicans legislatures across the country are now responding to um, using alleged voter fraud as reasons mm -hmm. to change e electoral policy politics in order to make it harder for black folks to vote. And and, and we keep saying white Republicans or Republicans are doing this. Republicans are doing this. I'm like, white folks are doing this. Because if the situation were flipped and somehow blacks had voted for Democrats en masse, I mean, for Republicans en masse, the white Democrats would be out there changing voting laws in the states that they controlled. Because somehow the culture, which is undergirded, like you said, uh, Christianity, we, we, we like to take credit. Like, we like to take credit for this being a Judeo-Christian society, but then we don't like to take credit for it being a Judeo-Christian society, right? Mm -hmm. Christianity has been at lock, you know lockstep with the development of this country. Everything that this country has done, Christianity has been right there, you know, drafting the drafting the the, the language for for what's being done. So when is it, you know what I mean, taking ownership? White supremacy won't allow the ownership, you know, to take ownership of any failings you know because and, and 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 this goes deeper into those theological terms when we talk about redemption when we talk about repentance like what is what does white christianity really believe about redemption because because it's like if we believe in redemption why are you so afraid of repentance um you mm. know if you believe in you know if you if you believe in reconciliation if you believe in salvation if all of these things why are we so afraid of repentance you know, if if we if we believe in, in all of these things and the Lord said that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, why is the white supremacist mind conditioned to be first? Does it really want to be last? What is what is the psychology that goes into these theologically theological frameworks that thereby buttress this society that makes it impossible for white folks to look critically at the manifestations of it's faith and say, is this what we want? Is this what we really intended? I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not white, so I don't really, you know what I mean? Like I, all I do is speculate from the outside. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, you know, one one thing that's making me think of on the on the partisanship piece. Um, so, you know, I, I had a nonpartisan you know, organization. Um, so, you know, we're not kind of towing any party line. But I, one concern I have is that I think this you know, goes for pastors who try not to be partisan, right, uh, to kind of administer everyone. But I think in that attempt to be nonpartisan, there has been um, not enough calling out like white supremacy, right, in, in our midst, right? because it often wears a partisan label and then pastors kind of go, oh, well, I can't touch that, right? Um, uh, but but I would say this, that the one way of thinking about this is like, um, you know, white supremacy and it's, and, and it's kind of marriage um, and justification by white Christianity has never had an allegiance to one party, right? Um, so, you know, if you, you but, but what it has done is it has taken historical opportunities to manifest itself um, I mean, it's agnostic about being a Democrat or, or Republican, right? Um, uh, that, that uh, you know, what we see is, that, I mean, the, the party uh, of, of uh, slavery, right, originally was the Democratic Party, right? And that was true up until uh, the Civil Rights Acts. Uh, it was true, like, from, from the Civil War to the 1960s, um, white Christians were predominantly Democrats, mm-hmm. right? But they were Democrats uh, because the Democratic Party was the one supporting Jim Crow, right, mm-hmm. and tearing down Reconstruction, and uh, and 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 setting up segregated schools, and you know, enforcing segregated schools and segregated institutions across the board. Um, so what happens in 1964, 1965? We get the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, um, and all of a sudden the Democratic Party is the party associated with civil rights, right? So what happens? All those white mm-hmm. Christians. Decamp, right? Like, <laughs> um, and 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 between in a period of fifteen years, white Christians abandoned the Democratic Party, and by the time we get Reagan in the early nineteen eighties, have almost completely moved to the other party. Why? Because the Democratic Party became the party of civil rights, right? And that was an intolerable place to be. And I mean, telling that history plainly. Um, you know, is something I think we still don't do very well. Um, but but realizing that, look, it, yeah, it, 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 partisanship has always been a tool, right? A means to an end. Um, and 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 the ultimate commitment has been, again, just you know, we, we can say white supremacy, and I think that's right. Um, but I think for many white folks, um, you know, it, to say it plainer, it's just been about defending a uh, a power structure where where whites you know are advantaged and 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 that is built to benefit uh whites at the expense of others right from jobs to mm-hmm. neighborhoods to zoning to all of that and, um, and, and you said it right there when I, I was doing some work with a bishop in in in, in, in a diocese his, his diocesan staff on, on on extricating white supremacy and we got to this point right here that's what you said this defending this power structure and this is the, the, the when you talk about the stratification when we talk about the stratification of the imago dei that comes into play with white supremacy, right? The reason being in my mind is understanding that it's about owning power, ownership of power. Who has the right to own power? And in white supremacy, whites have the right to own power, and white folks dole out power to those who they feel yeah. will wield it in accordance with white power's wishes which theologically is a very weird place to be when power belongs to God. And this is what, you know, Bonhoeffer talks about when we talk about creation and fall. He talks about humanity sicut deus and, 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 and humanity thinking that it is God. It owns power. And so when you say it's a dangerous place to be for white folks, yeah, it's like, I tell folks all the time, it's like, I, it's not about Black Lives Matter for y'all. It's about white lives matter because the way y'all are believing, walking this walk of faith, there ain't no way that you go into salvation. So it's about white lives matter. Like I was telling the bishop, the first victim of white supremacy was whiteness. The initial victim of white supremacy was the white self. Because it took the white, the white self out of right relationship with God. Set the yeah. white no, that's right. from that's the right on. Day. And so when we talk about self, self-interest from that standpoint, understanding, mm-hmm. no, nah, the white self has been has been hurt the most by this. Um, but we can't 
in mainline spaces, we can't talk about this kind of stuff. That's what they tell me. I'm too polarizing. I can't make those kinds of claims. <laughs> Maybe y'all can make those kinds of claims. You know, I mean, I, I think that, that, I mean, you're, you're laughing about this, but I mean, I think that that's right. I mean, it, it's got to be people who look like us, right, who, who kind of carry that story, right, and just say, look, you know, this, this is, again, it's about us and our, and our, and our kids and our, you know, uh, it's, it's about our own health here, right? If we, and, and about our, if we really, if being in right relationship with God isn't something we just pay lip service to, um, it's about that, right? Um, uh, and and there, there's no hope of being in right relationship with God uh, with a commitment uh, to white lives being more valuable than others. And, 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 and right underneath that, right, is a theological belief that God intends that to be the way the world is structured, right? Um, but you've, you've fundamentally warped, um, you know, and put a block between yourself and and, and God with that kind of uh, fundamental commitment, right? What what gets through the filter after that's up um, isn't much. <laughs> well, it, yeah, wow. Um, so so I'm curious. Right? I know with the with the book as as powerful and and amazing, it really is highly recommend those of you who have not picked it up yet, right? Like, um, it, it seemed like the 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 intention here really was that eye opening. Really was to pose that initial question of of that, you know, we can either inherit the faith of our fathers, right? Or, or we can pass on something that is salvific to our children, right? But we can't do both, right? That that really eye-opening and, and succeeded. And so, um, you know, a lot of the data or, or at, at that kind of high level to show that it doesn't matter if you're, if you're Republican or Democrat or, or mainline or evangelical, wherever you are in the world, I'm curious if there was was anything that didn't from the data that didn't make it into the book, maybe, or or experiences that you've had speaking around and engaging with congregations around the mm. country, probably around the world, right? Um, if if there was some hint of where a faithful next step was, is there a promising chemo drug that maybe you would recommend we put into <laughs> like human trials somewhere, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, any hint about a direction of research or a direction of, of maybe this might be a way to break in to that and break that cycle. Um, so that the, the generations yeah. of work you, you, you mentioned probably need to be done can start being done. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I, I think some of this is happening. I, I'm actually more hopeful now than I was when I wrapped the book. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when, when I was to give you a couple of examples, um, when I was, um, you know, finishing up the book, I, I spent a few weeks in Richmond. I was doing some archive research, uh, you know, uh, there in some of the historical archives and at the United Daughters of the Confederacy archives that are there in, in Richmond. Um, and uh and, you know, I, I would uh, it was in the summer and I, I would take a break and I would walk down Monument Avenue in Richmond. Right. Um, and at the time, um, you know, that was just 2019. All these massive monuments to the Confederacy were there. There's five of them in, in, in these big traffic circles, you know, stretching out a few miles west of Richmond. Um, and, and, and as of uh, last summer, four of the five of the statues of those monuments have been removed. Uh, right. All in one summer. Hmm. Um, and the fifth hmm. one to Robert E. Lee is just wrapped, tangled up in court proceedings. Not really a matter of, of if, but when hmm. uh, that one's going to be removed. And in the meantime, um, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the January 2021 January cover of National Geographic magazine has the Robert E. Lee uh, Memorial in Richmond on the cover uh, because it's been transformed into this internationally known performance art space, right? And right. and what happened is they took that monument and all these artists um, went and like tagged the monument with Black Lives Matter uh, sort of pictures and graffiti. And and the, the it's a beautiful photo of, um, it's got the monument, with, you know, it's got a huge pedestal uh, and Robert E. Lee mounted on his horse and they've got George Floyd's face projected onto the pedestal and BLM across the horse, hmm. right? Um, and with all this kind of, you know, painting and stuff kind of in, in the background. Um, and, and, and it's calling on, the, you know, it's, and, and reason made the covers is just about like, here's this creative transformation, right? The courts held hmm. it up um, and, and they couldn't remove the monument and artists took 
took it into their own hands and said, you know what, we're just going to transform the space as it is. Mm-hmm. I could not have imagined that happening. When I walked down the, that avenue, just again, 2019, um, those monuments look the same as they did 100 years ago, right? When they were put up in the early 1900s. I mean, they, they were there. But one other tiny little uh, note I'll give you on this, because I think it's a nice little arc, is um, First Baptist Church sits um, facing uh, the Stonewall Jackson uh, monument in the traffic circle. They intentionally moved their church there in the 1920s to be closer to that monument. They were originally downtown, uh, but and, and as did half a dozen other ch- big prominent white churches moved to be on these traffic circles facing these Confederate monuments. I mean, again, if ever there were testimony to white supremacy and Christianity, you move your freaking church right from downtown. <laughs> So that you can stare at these yeah, at true, these big monuments. Um, so, you know, I mean, our our idols, right? If you want to use the theological, right. term, we, if, we, if we need a white supremacy idol, uh, here's Baal. If we need Baal, modern day Baal, there it is. Um, but um, but but this First Baptist Church, um, uh, when they were removing the city, was removing um, the the Stonewall Jackson monument. Um, the staff um, decided uh, to ring the church bell. Um, you know, uh, to, to celebrate the removal. And, and one reason why that's important is that that same church existed before the Civil War. Um, and then when they were in their downtown location, offered that bell to the Confederacy to be melted down for cannon to defend uh, slavery. Right. So this arc, right, of this church, this white Christian church that offered their church bell to kill people, right, to be an instrument of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, defending slavery. Um, that same bell, so they didn't take the bell. It turns out they got to keep it. Um, uh, the Confederate Army didn't take it, even though it was offered. But so that same bell makes its way to ring itself in front of this, you know, Confederate monument for nearly 100 years. Um, and then that same bell gets rung in celebration of it being removed. Like So I, I those I think we're we're there is slowly something happening, right? Um, th- these are things I couldn't imagine. My home state of Mississippi, um, uh, for the first time, actually um, in January, for the first time, uh, a flag rose uh, since 1894. A flag rose over the Mississippi state capitol that did not include the Confederate battle flag, right? A, a magnolia flag, um, and uh, the, the, so and that was something also happened in the summer of 2020 that the legislature. Uh, decided to remove finally um, again, you know, um, after more than a hundred years, the Confederate battle flag from the state flag and the Mississippi Baptist Convention endorsed the move, uh, endorsed its removal, which is also something that had never uh, happened. The, the Mississippi that's that's the Southern Baptist Convention's state arm, right? That that uh, that that got and encouraged the governor to sign the bill and and to have it removed. So, you know, these symbols, um, you know aren't the work um but they are signs i think that some of the work you know is is being done and i but i do think the real question back to you is that the the real work will be um yeah we take these symbols down we make part of a christian witness um uh supporting their removal but then will we take up um dismantling the theology that justified their erection in the first place right, right. that that's right. the harder long-term yeah. work and because at the same yeah, time I as do, they yeah. at the same time as the the, the the baptist um allowed the confederate flag to come off of the mississippi flag the southern baptist convention also um rejected critical race theory yeah <laughs> so you know here we go like yep. okay you may have disagreements with critical race theory scientifically speaking but what about theologically speaking? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. you know, th- that wasn't. If you look at their statement, their statement wasn't we reject the science of this or anything like that. But there are some theological things like we've been talking about, like you've been drawing out that we need to address. So it's still, we'll take down, we'll agree for taking down this, the, the 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 symbols, and we'll hold our theology intact. And it's like, it's again. The church always moves with the wills of society. The church is the church has never been the leading edge. Yeah, the church hasn't led the church the, the society into the right. You know, desegregation came in the church after desegregation was public law. You know, you know, like yeah. I mean, that same year that that uh, you know uh, Bur- uh, the letter from Birmingham jail right was first published in the Christian Century. 
Um, that's the first place it appeared in print. And Martin Luther King was on the editorial board at, at, the, at the Christian Century. So white mainland Protestants, right? Take right. some credit, right? Take a, take a bow. Uh, that same year, uh, the, uh, uh, the Lovett School uh, uh, down in Atlanta, an Episcopal school, denied yeah, admission to, to Martin Luther King Jr.'s son on the basis of race. The yeah. same year. Yeah. 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 No. yeah. And so it's like, you know, th that's that's why I look at these these things and these times. Right. When yeah. it seems like we, we white Christianity, I always use the royal we. Right. <laughs> we we never make it fully to repentance. You know, we make it to just enough to keep the party going. Just enough so that we could hold on to this power thing a little longer. You know, and, 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 and so we'll we'll do just enough recompense, we'll do just enough soul searching to say that we examine this, we'll be able to say this is what happened, and it'll be a satisfactory explanation. But what won't happen is we won't be saying on mass that what what really happened is a faulty theology that led society down this rabbit hole. Oh. Because if we said that, then we would understand the need for doing the work that you've just been talking about, yeah. right? If, if if we understood that the way that we got here to, to January's Insurrection Day was because of a faulty theology that allowed white supremacy to metastasize to our society such that the best thing for people to do in a democratic society was for them to take up arms and try to destroy their own capital. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it this plainly too, that I think, you know, we, we don't get slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, mass incarceration, uh, disproportionate killing of African-Americans by police with no great outcry um, without white Christian complicity and participation in a worldview that turns a blind eye to, to all of that and, and that constructs it, right? That constructs those conditions. Um, uh, you know, and, and there, there, I think still remains uh, among if, if white Christians would get serious about this. I mean, it's, it's white Christians that have legitimized that worldview throughout the entire American project. Um, and, you know, in some ways, uh, this, you know, to make, this is something that sounds simple and certainly is, um, I'm not holding out great hopes uh, given our history for it happening, but, but, it, but it remains true that if white Christians would stop legitimizing white supremacy, um, we, it would change the country. Right. Yeah. It, it, the only thing standing in the way is white Christians continuing to give our assent uh, and our support oh, uh, for that for that worldview. Brother, that, yeah. that, that, yeah. that is why yeah. I do what I because I'm like, if the white church would just stop blessing and sanctioning white supremacy. If the white church would make it clear that, no, we this this is the one time when we need to be preaching a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, uh, you know, it reminds me of, of the critique. Um, and, and I, again, I don't remember which, which of the numerous black authors have, have already said this, right. And have been saying it for hundreds of years, right. Like, um, the system isn't broken, right. The system is functioning exactly as it is, has been designed and has been maintained and been, been optimized to function. And until we, consciously decide to change that um really stand up uh and take some action uh it it will be like that but i i really appreciate your hope um that minor even though it is right that that um that there is the potential for change if we really stand up and and claim that yeah. and want that um you know and your work has has i think really very clearly pointed out the the causality and the and the tie and the and the depth of of what is needed and the depth of the reality that that should be waking us up and will be one of the tools i know that i will use and have already used um to to buttress the theological work and to and to to sound that alarm and that and that really clear call that um that we have to fundamentally change uh, because we're not making disciples of christ right we're not we're not making apostles and 
uh, and preachers and prophets were were just making disciples of an idolatrous white supremacy. And yeah. um, so I, I certainly want to thank you uh, for your time today. I, I want to thank you for your work and for the way that it's it's influenced me and um, and my work going forward. And given uh, Jabril and I grist for for a lot of uh, of podcasts. Um, for your willingness to come on on board and really dig in even beyond the numbers um, and beyond the sociology into the depth of your own faith, your own experience, um, and into the theology that that we all need to work on. So thank you. Oh, thanks to you both. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, brother. I, I, thanks be to God. I appreciate you. The Lord bless and keep you in this work that you may remain encouraged, that, that you may be in a state of courage constantly, mm. and that you may have the strength, that you may have the hope uh, to strive valiantly, uh, to fight the good fight um, for the sake of his kingdom, for the life of the world, that we indeed might become beloved community. I, I, I appreciate you taking this time uh, so that we could share in the spirit together, that we could feast in the spirit together, have a little Eucharist. Yeah. I know y'all Baptists don't have Eucharist too much, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah. It's it's always good to break bread with another brother, and so I give thanks that 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 mm -hmm. that we could um, bring our offering to this uh, virtual table together, and that we could lift it up unto Him and hopefully turn it unto His people as something that is salvific, that we might be able to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called, that we can find grace, that we can find favor, that we can live indeed in beloved community as he has called and ordained for us to live. So thank you, brother, for your work. Um, yeah, the Lord bless you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Racial Heresy. Be sure to visit our website, racialheresy.com, to post your questions, comments, and feedback and to share your own stories of life as a racial heretic. Want to hear more? You can find past episodes of Racial Heresy on iTunes and the Racial Heresy website. Want to hear even more? Invite Racial Heresy to speak at your conference, council, church, training, or event. Email us at ebonyandivory at racialheresy.com or visit our website for information on speaking engagements.